Hi. <laughs> it's great, great to be back together. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Oh my goodness. Brian is in Minnesota, I think, uh, doing a wedding this weekend. He'll be here tomorrow, but I'll be preaching again tomorrow morning. But uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here, especially with you folks. And oh my goodness, a huge, huge thanks to Amber and Jerry and um, Joey and uh, Rebecca and the whole, the whole staff have worked so hard to get us to this place where we could do this today. So, yeah. Amen. If you see them, uh, tell them thanks, you know, because it's, it's not been easy. <laughs> it is just really, really good to be worshiping with you this afternoon. But I have to tell you, the last few weeks have been hard for me. I've been struggling. My life, like yours, has been disrupted in lots of ways. Uh, you know, it's kind of thrown me for a loop emotionally. I didn't, didn't think it would, but it did. It's been, been many years since I have struggled with negative thoughts and discouragement and even depression uh, like I have these last few weeks. And I know that a big part of this is because I'm grieving. As, as we all are, we're grieving losses that we've experienced, the, the loss of our normal routines, we're missing our friends, we miss going out to eat. There's a sense of being confined and restricted, even when they said you could go out for a walk. You know, there's a sense that, you know, my freedoms are being curtailed and I don't exactly know where the walls are. And Oh my gosh, it's, it's just hard. And I'm grieving. Our, the seniors from the church were supposed to go on a cruise to Alaska this summer. And that's gone, you know. And, Barbie and I have a black granddaughter, some of you know Casey, and so we're grieving, you know, just the, the fact that racist attitudes and, and truly evil behaviors have continued to persist in this country long after all those great legislative victories of the civil rights movement. So it's just, it's just been hard. And then I read an article recently that explained some of another facet of what I'm experiencing, what, what's making me sort of in a funk, and that's called anticipatory grieving. So this is when your future is so uncertain, you don't know if something really important to you is going to happen, and you're grieving the anticipated loss of that. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> talk about an uncertain future. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what we, where we are, right? The, the, uh, the scientists and medical personnel, I mean, they're working day and night to try to figure this virus out, but they keep telling us all the stuff they don't know about it. <laughs> so we can't predict, they can't predict what will happen, and we don't know what we're supposed to do with it. Are we going to have a second wave of infections? Are you really immune once you've had it? They don't know, so we can't plan our lives. And, and I like planning my life. I, <laughs> I kind of knowing what's, what's coming. You know, I have this nice multicolored Google calendar that tells me what's happening. <clears throat> well, Six of us from our church were supposed to go to Tunisia last March. We had to cancel that. We've rescheduled for October. Are we going to get to go? Uh, will the Alaska cruise go next summer? Uh, what about school in the fall? Uh, what, will, when will the jobs come back? Will the jobs come back? I mean, my gosh, this has been devastating. What, what will happen if state and local governments don't get the tax revenue they need to provide the services that we depend on? What will happen to the whole country's economy? What will happen if people don't follow wise guidelines for keeping others safe because they're insisting on their rights? See, all of this creates this anxiety and grief all sort of mixed together, and I've been struggling. But I think the, the, the greatest factor in my personal emotional struggle these last weeks 
has been the very uncertain situation here at church. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, that I'm not in a position of making decisions. <laughs> God bless those who are. And I do. I pray, pray a lot for, for Pastor Brian and the rest of the staff. And they are doing a great job of holding things together, sort of guiding us through this. These folks bear tremendous responsibility. But from my position as part-time staff, I'm deeply concerned about the future of Faith Church. Now, let me be clear. What I'm going to say here in a minute is, is my own observations, my reflections. This is not statements from the leadership. Uh, there may be some similarity. We might be seeing some of the same things, but this is, this is where I am. But if you were to ask me how I think Faith Church is doing, as some friends from other parts of the country have done lately, I say we're in a very precarious position. I liken us to this enormous boulder up on the cliff in the Big Thompson Narrows. And it's a little tiny ledge that the rock is sitting on. It's not falling. The ledge is not crumbling. But it doesn't look like a very stable platform. Or to use another image, a medical image from our current situation, our church body is certainly not dying on a ventilator. But we're not strong and healthy either. There, there are some underlying health conditions that make it hard for us to fight off any infections that we might get. So let me just mention a few of the things that concern me about the church. Uh, from a high in 2017, our attendance, before the, the lockdown, <laughs> our attendance had fallen about 25%. Wow, that, that's, that's a huge. And most of those folks who left were younger. So the drop in attendance in the 1045 service that we used to have was about 50%. Not only is that a big loss in numbers, but they were friends. They were people we loved. They were, they were wonderful. They were colleagues, partners in ministry, people who had wonderful gifts that we needed and still need, but they're gone. And as a result of that exodus, roughly two-thirds of our congregation is now 65 and over. Folks, that's not healthy. And we have very few who are in their 20s and 30s. If we don't rectify that situation in 10, 15, maybe 20 years at the most, this church will be gone. But how do you attract younger families and younger people when anybody who walks in here, most of the folks they see have gray hair or no hair? <laughs> they might think, well, they're nice folks, but it doesn't take them long to realize that's not our church. You know, that's not the church for us. Wow. In the past two years, we have lost a total of 10 full and part-time staff. Wow. Some of those departures were related to our conflict. Many were not. But as a result, our ministry leadership has suffered, and hence our ministry effectiveness has suffered. I think one of the things that concerns me most deeply is that the folks that I talk to most of the time, senior adults, are largely unaware of the danger we're in. They like the church. They were very happy with that 915 service they used to attend. Yeah? And it was pretty full. It stayed full. And so they're thinking, huh, everything's good. Where's the problem? Hey, wow. These folks seem to be, to me, to be like a blind person sitting on a little hill that is completely surrounded with floodwaters that are rising and threatening their very existence. But they don't see it. They don't know it's coming. 
So part of the reason why I've mentioned these concerns today is to make us all aware of what's going on in the body as a whole. Well, there's more to be said, but I think that gives you the idea of why I've been struggling, because I love this church and I want to see it thrive. But, but that's not the end of the story by any means. I've given you the bad news, now let's hear some good news. Over and over again in the scripture, the story is describing some situation in God's people, and it's going downhill in a hurry. And then the record says, but God, and then it explains what God did. But God intervened in some way. He saved the day. He rescued his people. He won a great victory. Six times in the book of Acts alone, there's reference to the death of Christ. And every time, the writer or the person who's speaking says, but God raised him from the dead. <laughs> well, that's good. If God can raise somebody from the dead, he can certainly breathe new life and health into our church. We're not dead by any means, not by a long shot. There are tons of really healthy things going on here. And they encourage me to believe that God has not abandoned us. He still has plans for our welfare, as it says in Jeremiah, to give us a future and a hope. I take great encouragement from the prophet Habakkuk. He's a great guy. He lived in a time when it was clear to him that the geopolitical forces around Israel, Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, were, were coming against them. And he saw the future destruction of their country. And as he observed the situation around him getting worse and worse, he said, he sort of insisted, this is Habakkuk 3, verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pens and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. I can climb mountains. My paraphrase. This man was not going to give up hope in God. And neither are we. Now, whenever we're in distress, grieving, facing impending danger, any kind of a bad situation, Psalm 130 is a psalm that, that sort of helps. It resonates with the trouble we're in, and it points us to God at the same time. Here it is, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. He's really eager to see God show up. O Israel, O Christian, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel. He will redeem us from all our sins. Put your hope in the Lord. Why? For with the Lord is unfailing love. So in a nutshell, we can always hope in God in every situation, no matter how bad it is, because his very nature is love. And that love will never fail us. He will not, he cannot stop loving us. Because that's just who he is. So that's one reason we can always have hope. God's unrelenting, unconditional, unfailing love. And then Abraham, our spiritual ancestor, points us to another reason. This is Romans 4. <clears throat> Against all hope. It's an interesting phrase. It means when there was no reason to hope. <laughs> no, no basis for hope in his circumstances. Against all hope. Abraham believed in hope. 
and so became the father of many nations. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. Now, their situation was way worse than ours. <clears throat> Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. You recall God had promised him that he and Sarah would have lots of descendants, as many as the stars in the sky, and that they would populate many nations. He didn't waver, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Now, here's the key being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. I just love this. Psalm 130 points us to God's unfailing, unrelenting, unconditional love, and Abraham points us to God's unlimited, absolute power. That's a good basis for hope. <laughs> That's terrific. As God says through Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? No, Lord, it's really not. No. Who God is always needs to be the foundation for our hope. We need to let who he is determine how we are. Man, great songs you guys sang this morning. Thank you. This morning, this evening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Like you said. <laughs> uh, I mean, they good choices, Amber. Thank you. I love that one that I didn't know. <laughs> But this is the lesson I've had to learn these past few weeks. To keep my eyes on God, focus on him more than on my situation or our circumstances. But on top of who God is, I see some other reasons for hope for our church, some hopeful signs in our situation. Let me give you a little bit of history. Uh, how many, oh, this will be fun. How many of you were here in 1984 when we started in Thompson Valley High School? One, two? Three, four, five, okay, six, seven, okay, but you were too young to remember. <laughs> okay, so God was clearly involved in the beginning of this church, and we saw so many unusual signs of his favor. I may just recount a few of them for you. Uh, after talking to a dozen lending institutions for a loan to buy this building and property, uh, we finally found one that would do it. Nobody wanted to loan us money because everything we had was in a trailer that I pulled to Thompson Valley High School in the back of my car. Trinity Baptist Church, who sold us this building, this property, uh, carried a second mortgage loan of $100,000 for us so that we could buy it from them. They loaned us the $100,000. Okay. And then they returned that. They just canceled it, forgave it after a year. The owner of the property to our west and north didn't used to be houses. It used to be wheat fields. The owner would not sell us more land so that we could expand. But God brought Ed Lanting to our church, who was the developer of the houses to the south of us. And she sold Ed the property, who sold it to us, and we expanded, and then we were able to build the Hall of Faith. And just at the time we wanted to build the Hall of Faith, God brought a man named R.K. Yoder, who had been a church builder all his life, <laughs> comes to our church and says, what, you have a building program? I could help with that. <laughs> oh my goodness. During the Great Recession of 2009 and following, this church never cut staff or salaries or programs. And we continued to give over 20% of our income away to missionaries. Well, I could go on, but the point is this, the God who did all those things for us in the past is still the same God he always was. And he's not left us. He's still the head of our church. We still look to him for direction. 
God has used this church in significant ways in the past, and that gives me hope that he's going to do it again. Psalm 80 is a psalm of, uh, of lament, a man who saw Israel in dire straits. He was pleading with God to restore them to their former glory. And he describes how God had blessed the nation in the past and enabled them to grow and expand their territory under the reigns of David and Solomon. But now they were in trouble. And the parallel with us seems clear. We were started out as a church of 100, 100, 100 people in Thompson Valley High School, and we grew to a church of about 650. And God used us to touch many, many lives. But now we're a little precarious. The psalmist goes on. He describes in poetic terms how bad things are for them. And all through the psalm, he weaves this refrain. It shows up three times. And here it is, the last verse of Psalm 80. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. And the way I think of this psalm and its application to us is, God, you've blessed us in the past like you had blessed Israel. Faith Church has been a tool in your hands. We've brought you significant glory here in town and around the world. Don't leave us now. Don't abandon us. Don't abandon the work of your hands. If you will restore us, we will once again glorify your name. Speaking of glorifying God's name, we, we support 32 missionary individuals and families to a significant degree, some of them close to a quarter of their total support. And this is one of the most unique strengths of Faith Church. Very few churches do this. And I just find it hard to believe that God would want all that missionary support to suddenly dry up because we sank. I just don't think he's going to do that. His intention is that people from every tribe and language and people and nation are going to gather around the throne and worship the land at the end of time. And I think he wants to use us to get some more of those people out there into those hard places to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to the entire world. You know, another thing that has just recently come to my attention that, uh, that gives me a lot of hope for our church is the, the large number of really quality people who are investing such a huge amount of time and effort and heart into our church. The staff have been amazing, learning to do their work largely online, coping with disruptions in their own lives, adapting to changes in the situation, daily updates from the Department of Health that Jerry Hermblum has, has coped with. <clears throat> the transition team has spent untold hours getting us ready to, to hire an ex-pastor. Brian Myers has been amazing. He works with staff. He works with the pastoral team, works with session, leading weekly meetings of the transition team, spending untold hours. Oh, and by the way, he preaches almost every Sunday. And the session, the elders have recently had weekly meetings on top of their regular monthly meeting to process all that's coming out of the transition team. And so many volunteers as well. You see them around here this afternoon serving in lots of ways. All of these people are godly men and women, and if you were to ask them why they're doing that, they would all say some version of, God has led me to do it. God is calling me to do this. This is, this is my, my assignment now from the Lord. And I say, <laughs> I don't think God would lead them to put all that effort in this church if he weren't planning good things for us in the future. So the transition team consists of 11 people that we nominated, we the congregation nominated, and uh, were finally selected by the, by the session. And uh, they've been working many long hours since January. 
to get us ready to look for our new pastor. And one of the things they did was to sort of dream what could, should Faith Church look like. So I asked three of them to, uh, to record their, their, uh, their ideas for us so we can hear them. And, and here they are. This is Ron Stoddard, Lisa McLean, and Sam Mann. So let's, let's hear what they have to say. My name is Ron Stoddard, and I have the honor of serving on the transition team uh, that started in January of this year to try to identify who we are as a church, uh, to look at our uniqueness and the uniqueness of what God has called us to do. Ultimately, we hope to be able to provide information uh, to the search committee that will be looking for a new pastor for our church. But the process has been incredibly uh, educational, uh, inspiring, uh, and truly a blessing, I think, to all of us. I've had the honor to work with a number of people in the congregation uh, who, like you, love the Lord and want to do what is best for our church as God would direct us to do it. Time has passed slowly. And it's been, uh, at times, difficult to know whether we're really communicating well to the congregation that we are making progress, and we are. We're at a point now where we're defining many of the values and the vision for our church, uh, and we believe that we're getting very close, and we appreciate all of your input. Our church's name was not an accident. We are faith church. And I'm reminded that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So although some of the things that we have done have seemed to be unseen, they are truly guided by the Lord. Hi, I'm Lisa McLean, and I also have had the pleasure of working in the transition team. One of our first activities together was to create the journey wall that many of you added your memories to as well. What a blessing it was to be reminded of how faithful the Lord has been over its many years here at Faith Church. Mission trips, serving in the community, worship during our services, camping trips, turkey dinners, small groups, the list goes on. My family's only been at Faith about seven years. I was amazed at the rich heritage we joined. One of the last activities that the transition team did was to create our future vision for Faith Church. Our task was to describe where we saw the church in two to four years. I wrote a letter to a fictional friend describing how our church has continued to stand on God's word. I described how our new pastor was leading us to be a thriving, relevant church in our community. We were serving and growing. Because of the depth of wisdom and maturity in our congregation, I wrote how we had an active mentoring ministry in many areas, including your walk with the Lord, business skills, parenting, and so much more. And prayer, we continue to be a praying church. Those two activities reminded me how faithful Lord is and how he has so much more in store for Faith Church as we continue to focus on Jesus and follow him. Hi, my name is Sam Mann. I'm on the transition team at Faith and I was asked to share a little bit with you about uh, what, we, what we're doing and what, what I'm excited about with Faith Church. Um, you might not recognize me. Last time we were at the service together, I didn't have a beard, so that kind of puts it in perspective a little bit. But uh, uh, my, uh, my family and I, my wife Anne and my three kids, uh, John, Lizzie, and Susie, who are 12, 10, and 8, uh, we've been going to faith for about two years now. We officially joined the church, actually this year, 
and uh, my wife's involved in women's women in the word uh, ministry she leads a bible study with them and the, the women's ministry overall we both attend an adult sunday school class and i help out with our bridge program so anyways we love faith church and we've really appreciated the love that's been showed us at the church um, it's been neat to be on the transition team because i don't have that long of a history really at faith and to see um, and to hear about what God's been doing throughout the entire history of the church is just mind. It's, it's really neat. Um, we have a strong, a deep legacy at Faith Church, and it's something that's, that's really neat to be a part of. Um, one of the activities we did that you probably participated in is the journey wall. And just laying out the experiences at the church, highs and lows, but spiritual highs, neat ways that God worked in people's lives at the church, through the church and the community, the different pictures of people, even um, some of the pictures, which were great, from years ago when we used to do an annual talent show, which I think we should bring back at the church once we can all meet together. Um, some of the transition team members were on in those pictures and could tell the stories of what was going on. They were hilarious. And my, my family actually has a skit, and we're ready for the next talent show that we have. Um, so just, uh, but, it, you know, I was so encouraged to see, you know, families at the church, husbands and wives who've been married for 50 plus years, celebrating their wedding anniversaries. People have been walking with the Lord for 60, 70 plus years, former pastors, missionaries, people have been at the church, gone to the mission field and came back. Um, the Sunday school class we attend is led by a gentleman who grew up in the church, was involved um, from the youth, uh, has now a professional in the community, was discipled by his parents and by former pastor Jim Murphy, leads a wonderful Sunday school program. It's just neat to see the impact the church has had on people. Um, and it's something I'm very excited, my family's excited to participate in. When we think about the future of, of Faith Church, some of the stuff we talk about in the transition team is discipleship, pulling from all that experience we have at the church and pouring back into the community, into the church itself. Um, we talk about new Christians, people new to, the, to their walk with God, and maybe new to the area, coming to faith, and just how they can be mentored and, and encouraged, and the spiritual growth they, they, can, they can experience at faith um, with the strong biblical foundation, um, the, the strong teaching. It's just exciting to be part of. We talk about evangelism, talk about reaching the community, not just through acts of service, but also sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So, I'm really excited about what God has in store for us at Faith, and it's something I'm, I'm really excited about being a part of. Well, it encourages me that these folks who have spent so much time thinking about our church in great detail are so encouraged and hopeful about what, what God's going to do in the future. I'd love to be in a church like what they describe, and I, I wonder, you know, what, what's your dream? What do you hope for? What, if, what would be your ideal if, if God could do the... the you know, the 100-year 100, 100 plan for you in the next five years, what would it be? The point is that if Faith Church could become any of those things, then it would be worth almost any effort to make it happen. Our situation is not unlike that of the Israelites under Nehemiah. Nehemiah said to them, You know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The exiles had returned some years before under Ezra. They had rebuilt the temple. But they'd done nothing to fortify the city. They were still vulnerable. They had lost prestige and honor. But Nehemiah rallied the people with a vision of what could be. He said, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. 
Another translation says, so we can again take pride in our city. And the record says they rebuilt the entire city wall in 52 days because the people worked with all their heart. Seems to me that's what we need here. The description of how the Israelites rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem says they worked by extended families and they worked side by side, cooperating with other families and other people, making sure that their efforts um, matched, coordinated with those working on the adjacent section of the wall. Parents and children worked together. They had multiple generations. People of position in their society and as well as manual laborers worked together. All of this is a great picture of what's needed in our church. So in a few weeks, you'll get a chance to hear and see some of the direction for our church is being proposed by the transition team and the session. And we want to hear your feedback on that because we want everybody to be pointed in the same direction. We all need to be working to build the same kind of church. My assumption, I think it's more than an assumption, the scripture says that if God is calling you to be a part of this church, then you have something to offer that we need. It might be your fervent prayers. It might be your analytical mind, your attention to detail, your musical ability, your love for children, your desire to see young adults grow up into godly, mature Christian adults. You like to visit lonely senior adults, whatever it is. But whatever it is, we need you to do that with all your heart. It's all hands on deck. You know, when the Israelites had finished rebuilding the wall, it doesn't say, but I'm pretty sure it didn't look exactly like the one before. This was sort of a ragtag bunch of folks. They weren't professional wall builders. But it served the purpose. It was strong. It kept them safe. It restored their dignity. Five years from now, when all of us have been working hard on rebuilding the church, it won't look the same as it did three years ago. But it will serve the purpose of being a place where God is loved and served and glorified. And I expect that in the process of rebuilding, all of us are going to have to get out of our comfort zones a little bit. Um... Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, if I get another chance, I'm going to preach on moving cheese. Some, some of you will know what that means. <laughs> All of us, friends, are going to have to think more about ministry to people who are not yet here than we think about catering to the preferences of those of us who are here. And this should be intuitively obvious, right? We have to think much more about ministry to people who are not here than we do about how to care for us who are already here. We're all going to have to make compromises and adapt to people who need something different than what we want. In the summer of 1978, I was applying for the position of pastor at First Presbyterian Church here in Loveland. The church had been through some very trying times. Uh, They had asked the two previous pastors to leave. They had lost a lot of members. They were way down from their glory days in the past. I preached on rebuilding the wall from Nehemiah, and I compared that rebuilding process to the task of rebuilding the church. At the end of the service, I was standing at the door. Back in the old days, the pastor used to stand at the door and greet people, right? (laughs) And and this this senior citizen, probably in his 70s, I thought he was ancient. (laughs) Wasn't ancient, was a young guy. A man named C.J. Van Boven. He walked up, shook my hand with his firm handshake, looked me right in the eye and said, I'll lay the first block. Somehow that story of the Israelites rebuilding their city wall 
inspired him, gave him hope for rebuilding their church. And he was willing to step up and do whatever it took, whatever he could possibly add to it. And he did for years thereafter. It was great. So who will lay the next blocks in rebuilding Faith Church? I've told you about some who've already stepped up, every member of the staff, Brian Myers, the transition team, the elders, volunteers. Who's going to lay the next blocks? Will it be you? You know, I do have hope. I have hope that Faith Church can not only be restored to its former health and strength, but become far more than it ever was. So we can, again, take pride in our church. When the people work with all their hearts, God adds the blessing. Six and a half years ago, I stood here at this pulpit and told you the best was yet to come. That's bittersweet to remember. But I still believe that. I really do. I believe that Faith Church can become a vineyard that produces great fruit for our owner. I believe we can become an even more faithful and obedient servant to the King of Kings. We can bring him more glory than we ever imagined here in Loveland and around the world. Years ago, a man named Bill Gothard taught a seminar around the country called Basic Youth Conflicts. You remember this? Yeah? And at, and at that seminar, he would hand out little round white pins with black letters on them. You'd stick on your shirt. And the letters were PBP G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. Folks, I'm here to tell you, God is not finished with Faith Church yet either. Let's pray to that end. Lord, it's all you. (laughs) You're the one we live for. You're the one we serve. You're the one we love. It's your glory we're after. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your true love and your faithfulness. So God, we pray for this church that you will indeed restore us, that you'll renew us, revive us. You'll make us the people you want us to be. Thank you so much for the folks who are here today. The joy it is to be back together. God, we we love this. But we know that we're not the church we were just a few years ago, and we need your healing, your touch, your strength, your power. We need your hope. And Father, I want to pray for our land as well. So much is broken. So many hearts are so hard. Such divisions exist among us. Lord God, please, heal our land, even as we pray you would heal our church. For the glory of Christ, we ask it. Amen.